0: From the heartland of America and the gateway to the West, good morning, good evening, wherever you may be, across the nation, around the world, I'm George Norrie, and this is Coast to Coast AM. Later tonight, witches. Here's what's happening. Carnage continues in the Middle East. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's office has now released photos that it said confirm that Hamas terrorists murdered and burned babies in southern Israel near the Gaza Strip. The images purport to show the bodies of two infants who were burned alive, with the third appearing to show a decapitated infant in a blood-splattered situation. Sad story. Meanwhile, the carnage continues. Pharmacists have walked out of hundreds of Walgreens locations nationwide in a dispute over working conditions. The workers claim current pressures have led to patients waiting days and weeks without their prescriptions. Some stores have temporarily closed due to the lack of staff. They're all concerned over working conditions. After declaring a national blood shortage and announcing that the United States blood supply has fallen to critically low levels, the American Red Cross is urging high schools to bring back blood drives. Christian Wild from MyHeartBook.com is with us. How bad is the shortage of blood here, Christian.
1: Yeah, you know, the American Red Cross, which provides about 40% of our blood supply, is urging high schools to bring back blood drives. Now, that's just as you and I can remember. Many of your listeners tonight remember when we were students and we corresponded and helped them out with the blood supply. As a matter of fact, George, the agency identifies this blood shortage today as the lowest in In a decade, in 2019, more than 4 million people received red blood cell transfusions in the United States, and today, the need is being outpaced by a 25% decline in blood donation. That's pretty serious. True distribution of blood products to hospitals has been outpacing the number of donations. Now, George, this is... Just a thought. But I wonder, personally, I wonder if a certain amount of this decline has come from an existing fear of donors being exposed to COVID in medical collection centers.
0: That's a good point, Christian. What's new at MyHeartBook.com?
1: MyHeartBook.com, that new, blood, that new um, anti-statin drug that we put, Christian Wilde's heart formula, <laughs> we can't even keep up with it. It's Good just for amazing. You.
0: Well, you're helping a lot of people. Thanks, Christian. Kevin Randall's with us with his weekly UFO report. Hello there, Lieutenant Colonel. How are you?
2: I'm fine, George. How are you? Good.
0: Looking forward to your stuff tonight.
2: Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, Anyone who's read much of my writing about UFOs knows that I'm not a big fan of alien abduction reports. I mention this because yesterday was the 50th anniversary of what is probably the best documented case of alien abduction. That is the case of Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker in Pascagoula, Mississippi, on October 11, 1973. They were taken on board a glowing craft, examined and then released. They went to the sheriff, were later interviewed by James Harder and Alan Hynek, and subjected to a polygraph examination. I've interviewed both Hickson and, much more recently, Parker. Here's why this is important. Fifty years ago today, they were taken to Keesler Air Force Base to be tested for radioactive contamination. None was found, but some of the top officers on the base subjected them to an interrogation. This was four years after the Air Force closed Project Blue Book and said that they were no longer investigating UFO sightings. During that interrogation, it came out there were other witnesses to the abduction, a document created by the Air Force, Fifty years ago today, it listed the names of the officers involved and also provided the names of two civilian witnesses who had seen something strange in the location and at the time of the abduction. In one of those cases, the witness was driving over a bridge near the site, and in the car were two additional witnesses. In other words, there were within hours of the abduction, four additional witnesses had been found, and that information was recorded in an official Air Force document. Through the work of Philip Mantle and Dr. Irene Scott, more witnesses have been located in the last uh, six or seven years. Unfortunately, it can be said that they were inspired by some of the recent publicity about the case, and that was why we are just learning about them. As I say, this is the best case for alien abduction. There are multiple independent witnesses. There was a military investigation, scientific research, and no good terrestrial explanation for what happened. If not for those other earlier witnesses, this case would be easy to write off. But you can find Parker's book about his abduction experiences on Amazon, along with the different books written by Mantle and Scott, and my own book, 1973, that covers this abduction, other abductions in the same year, and a look at the wave of sightings that took place in the fall of 1973. Of course, there are some interesting sightings going on they are not half a century old, Stan Gordon reported on his UFO Anomaly Zone website on September 3rd of this year, a witness in Cumberland County, Pennsylvania said her dog, which is deaf, was looking up into the sky. There was a light shining down and hovering. About 300 feet over the building was a large triangular-shaped object with rounded corners. She said the surface of the UFO was a flat, black, matte color. She had a clear view of the underside and said there were no individual lights on the UFO. As the craft hovered, she could hear a deep but barely audible humming, and then a single click as the craft began to move. It suddenly accelerated until it looked like a smudge, and she said it just vanished. I'll note here that the dog did react to the craft, and it could have been the low humming vibration that attracted its attention. There were other sightings in the area, and one of them in which the witness reported that he had his dog's reaction as well, which is similar to that first report. And I'll try to get more information up on my blog about those additional sightings. That's it for tonight, George.
0: All right, my friend, we'll talk to you next week. Kevin Rendell on UFOs. Up next, Rich Turin joins us with his latest work, Cashless, China's Digital Currency Revolution. And can it happen here? He's next on Coast to Coast AM. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you, Rich Turin with us. Rich is the international best-selling author of Cashless, China's Digital Currency Revolution and Innovation Lab Experience. He's a highly rated global fintech influencer and award-winning executive, previously heading fintech teams at IBM following a 20-year career in investment banking. Living in Shanghai for the last decade, Rich has experienced China's going cashless very firsthand. Rich, welcome to the program.
3: Hey, George. Great to meet you, and thank you so much for having me.
0: Where might thou be right now?
3: I am sitting in my home office in Shanghai, China, where it's uh, 1.15 p.m. So, yeah, I'm coming to you from China Direct.
0: How do they treat Americans out there, Rich?
3: beautifully look i've been here for 13 years nearing 14 this december and you know people are lovely they're friendly they're nice there's no nobody holds a grudge about the u.s i know that the u.s china relations are not the best they've ever been right now um people are very nice to one another they're certainly nice to me as a foreigner and uh no problems i mean yeah sometimes people are a little shy the little kids are the best the little kids are the best because once in a while you'll meet a kid who's never met a foreigner, a white or Caucasian person. Huh. And sometimes I'm very tall; I'm six foot one, and they look up at me and they're they're shocked. And I learned a few kids' songs in Mandarin, and I sing to them, and they just, just break out laughing. So yeah.
0: I, I might have lots you s- of... I might have you sing later in the program tonight.
3: For for you, George, not a problem. I'd be delighted to do it.
0: <laughs> uh, I love it, you know. And you, you know, you, you write about people. I think if we could have people run countries, we'd be much better off because people gen- generally get along.
3: I could cry. Yes, they do. If people, you know, look. There's no question that people on the streets or of Shanghai, which is a big international city like New York or London. Um, Sure, not all of them are pleased with perhaps uh, U.S. government positions on chip bans and other things, but they have no problem with me or any other American they meet on the street. So people are lovely, and yeah, I I, I wish, and and most Americans, they love Chinese. they got no problem with anybody who's Chinese. So yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more.
0: What got you to China, Rich?
3: Well, I I don't expect anybody to feel sorry for me, but, you know, I was an investment banker for 18 years, and when the global financial crisis hit in 2008, um, I hung around New York City for another couple of years till 2010, and I realized that the the jobs in the world and universe that I had known – um, we're no longer. And I had been to Shanghai uh, on a pleasure trip and loved it some years earlier. And uh, I said, "Look, it's it, it, in 2010 was the best economy in the planet." And uh, I literally packed a couple of duffel bags, came over here, and um, was grateful. I had uh, two new. Careers. One is an MBA school professor, and the second I got picked up and worked for IBM for their Shanghai operations. So um, I was able to uh, start a new life and have a new career out here in China, and I'm grateful for the opportunities that uh, China gave me.
0: Rich, China is one of the BRICS nations, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa That wants to do away with digital with uh, currency and go to digital. What's happening?
3: A lot. In fact, um, what we just witnessed uh, this past early September in South Africa was the meeting of the BRICS nation, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and it's going to become BRICS+, plus with the addition of six other nations, most notably Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, who are, of course, famous for one product, and that is oil. So um, the BRICS nations, in short, don't hate America. they It's not an anti-America club. But they are looking for a better deal in trade between these nations and are looking to shift trade that is predominantly denominated in dollars And change it to their local currencies. So um, if you're India and you're buying oil from United Arab Emirates, you want to try to buy it in either Indian rupees or or UAE dirhams. Or if you're China, you can buy oil from UAE or Saudi Arabia in RMB or Renminbi rather than having to convert to dollars. And let me just explain. Every time that a nation has to change its currency into U.S. dollars and then from U.S. dollars into something else. All of those are frictional costs. They cost money, so it's cheaper to buy in native currency. That's why the petrodollar, buying oil in U.S. dollars, is so important for the American economy
0: it's it's truly remarkable now is is this devastating to the united states when more and more nations go digital
3: well um i wouldn't say devastating so let me so let's let's just change the perspective this is the question that we often see in the newspaper will digital currency and now let me make one comment for your listeners out there. We are not talking about cryptocurrency, meaning Bitcoin or Ethereum. What we're talking about is a future where central banks, like the Central Bank of China and India, which are the best two examples, actually issue digital currencies that represent the native currencies of those nations. So not Bitcoin, not Ethereum or the other stuff you hear but not cryptocurrency. So, in the future these nations will have digital currencies. In fact, all of the BRICS nations will go di- will have digital currencies. And yes, it could be disruptive to the US dollar and ha- do something that we call de-dollarization but it's a process that will take a very very long time don't look for any of the following don't look for a crash don't look for the dollar to be immediately dethroned displaced or otherwise destroyed think about this as a transition that's going to happen over twenty years
0: that's a long time rich
3: yeah it is and okay so there's a really great thing that comes out of this george and I think you can appreciate this. It's deniable. If if you have a long-term, long-scale change, it's very easy for people to deny that it's even happening in the near term. And that's what you see right now. You see a lot of articles about can digital currencies, can other Native currencies like the China's RMB or, 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 or India's rupee, can they take, or do we often hear, dethrone the dollar? And, you know, nothing is going to happen that fast. And because the emphasis is on fast, it's, it's deniable that the, that the process is happening. But I and many others who are big financiers who are paid a lot more than me also believe that this process is actually uh, happening now.
0: What is the benefit of cash going digital?
3: Sure. And, you know, that's a really fabulous question. So um, first thing is some people are going to say cash is already digital. And they're right. Cash through Visa or MasterCard or Google or Google Pay or Apple Pay is already a form of digital payment. There's no doubt about it. But these forms of digital payment all have high service charges associated with them. Never forget that whenever you use Visa or MasterCard, your your butcher, baker, candlestick maker, anybody who's got a store out there who's listening is nodding their head. They're gonna pay two or three percent to Visa and MasterCard. That's how why Visa and MasterCard profit fifty two billion annually and in fact the US pays a full 1% of its GDP for credit card fees shocking number now if we look at digital payments through what are we call central bank digital currency that mm-hmm. is digital currencies that are issued by the central bank we're looking at payments being free or near free and that's good for everybody so i can pay you directly without going through a bank or visa or mastercard and nobody takes any of my money and that's fundamentally a good thing that people should look forward to
0: now we don't have the gold standard anymore for the dollar what do they have backing digital
3: well it's exactly the same so when we take a digital currency like a digital rupee, or India's case, or a digital RMB for China's case, or a digital dollar if we get one someday, there's nothing backing it other than the central bank commitment. So let me explain. If we look at something like a cryptocurrency, like a Bitcoin, there's nothing backing it. No central bank, zero. right? Right. The value of a Bitcoin is what people believe it.
0: And how how far they push it. That's right.
3: Right, exactly. You know, and some people call it a Ponzi scheme, and that's fine. You know, whether whether you love or hate Bitcoin isn't the issue. But when you're looking at a digital dollar, a digital RMB, or a digital rupee, these are backed by the central banks of their respective countries. So, you know, they're not backed, you know, they're, they're not backed on nothing. They have a central bank behind them.
0: It's truly remarkable what's happening out there. Now, here in the United States, as you know, we've got Google Pay, Apple Pay, PayPal. Are they going to go through any kind of metamorphosis?
3: Sure. They are going to go through a metamorphosis. And the metamorphosis will be that they cannot get away with charging high fees forever. And that's fundamentally good for every American consumer out there. Now, let me make a quick comment. The U.S. is way behind in its digital dollar program or its central bank digital currency. And I'll have to admit that central bank digital currency has been somewhat caught up in what we call the culture wars, where some people really like it and some people really hate it. And my goal is not to get too deeply into that, but the point is, um, someday in some distant future, we will have these digital means of payment that are near free or near free, and that will make it very hard for Visa, Mastercard, and other digital payment schemes to charge two or three percent for their use.
0: Rich, stay with us. We're going to take a quick break here and come back and chat more about your incredible work, China's digital currency revolution, cashless. And then, of course, I'll ask you when it's going to happen here, if it's going to happen here. Rich's website is his name, Rich Turin, linked up with Coast am.com We will take calls with Rich next hour here on Coast to Coast AM, so don't touch your dial, just keep it where it is. And welcome back to Coast to Coast, George Nori with Rich Turin. His book is called Cashless. Incredible. There's an animosity here towards going uh, digital in the United States, Rich. What are the possibilities? What are the odds that that would happen here?
3: Hey, God, that's, that's the question, George. I'm glad you asked it. You know, the reality is near term, the chance of going digital and really using a we call a central bank digital currency is zero to negative numbers. It's sort of caught up in this fight between the cultural revolution, cultural wars, as we call them. So no, near term, no way, no chance. But look, 113 central banks across the globe, encompassing some 95 or 98% of G- global GDP, depending on how you measure it, are all working on digital currencies. So um, even if it's not big in the United States, it will still have an impact on any American who travels abroad or any American company who does business with foreign countries where they will have to receive payment in these digital currencies. So U S not for a while, but that doesn't mean that we can afford to ignore it.
0: I like the, 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 the feel of cash. I like, uh, you know, having a few bucks in my wallet and, uh, it just kind of feels good. I, I would lose that with all digital.
3: Well, y- yes and no. Number one, an important thing to understand is Nobody's getting rid of cash, even in China, which is probably, along with Sweden, the most advanced country for going cashless. These, in both Sweden and China, nobody's saying, we're take, coming for your cash and we're going to take it away. Not happening here, not happening in Sweden. So if you want cash because it feels good, and hey, George, in my drawer across from me right now. You know what I have? I got a pile of U.S. $100 bills, so it feels good to have some. And you and me and a lot of other people feel the same way. But the reality is um, we're making payments that digital will make cheaper and easier for us all. If you're buying on Amazon or if you need to send money to your kids or family members and you want to do it without paying a fee, yeah, so there's 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 room for both in our new world coming up.
0: But here's the big question again, though, Rich. Will we stay with just one or two?
3: I'm sorry, George. I don't understand the question. Just one or two what?
0: Will we stay with uh, one form of currency or two different ones?
3: Oh. Did- That's really the million-dollar question, and it depends on who you talk to. If you talk to people who love cryptocurrency, and if you're out there, I salute you, fine. If you love Bitcoin, for example, they believe that Bitcoin should be accepted U.S. currency. Um, If you talk to um, people from the government, the last thing that they want is to have another non US dollar currency let loose in America. So, you know, so that's that's really the question. I think the issue is not whether we're going to have different denominations of current currency. I call Bitcoin another type of currency with a different denomination. That's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen is we're going to have different ways to use dollars. So you can imagine opening your phone up And if you wanted to pay somebody with Apple Pay, go ahead. If you want to use PayPal, go ahead. If you wanted to use a digital currency, a central bank U.S. dollar digital currency, someday, you'll be able to pay them that way. So consumers are going to have more choice. And as soon as that happens, the price of making these uh, transfers is going to go down.
0: What will happen to bank accounts?
3: Absolutely nothing. Now, that's a surprise thing. Now, a lot of people, if you've read anything about central bank digital currency, some people have said, well, it's going to take money out of the banking system. And frankly, China's had a very specific kind of corporate digital currency um, for about eight years now. And frankly, it hasn't busted the banks it hasn't taken money outside of the banking system because in the end with all of these central bank digital currencies The central banks don't want to have a nation full of clients. You're not going to have an account with the central bank, whether it's the Fed or whether it's the European Central Bank, who's also looking at a digital currency. They don't want that. You're going to keep your relationship with your bank, and you're going to keep money in the bank still. So um, the banks will make less money on their payments. Mm -hmm. They can't charge you as much, but you're not going to take all your money out of the bank.
2: Will we
0: still write checks, physical checks?
3: No, and I I frankly think that's a good thing. I mean, hey, how about this one? George, do you still enjoy writing physical checks? I hate it. Good. So, you know, that's the whole point, you know. Um, What we're looking at, look, after covid many, many Americans who were not using the digital services of their banks were forced to because we couldn't go to the bank. We had to stay home. So during COVID, there's been a tremendous, tremendous increase in the uptake of banking digital services. And frankly, with that, in the future, we're going to be looking at a world where we can make more payments with new systems like right now. There's a new system that, the, that your bank, your local bank, will use in the next year or so called Fed Now, which is a federal, you know, it's part of the central bank, the Federal Reserve. And it's a new payment system that's free or near free to use. So, yeah, we're going to have lots more new ways to pay, and it's all good. And, no, you shouldn't have to write a check. And anybody out there who says the check is in the mail... That excuse isn't going to work for much longer,
0: Rich. I would guess that most people, when they get paid by their employer, are getting paid by direct deposit, ACH, all electronic, aren't they?
3: Absolutely, and that probably isn't going to change. In fact, if, if for smaller business, it can be made even easier. And look, ACH is great for big corporations, but a lot of small companies, you know, can't afford that service. So a lot of smaller companies are going to be able to pay their employees using um, digital services of some form. And it's going, to make, um, it's going to make it so that the employees can get paid more quickly and have real-time arrival of payments. So Friday afternoon, you knock off from work, and your bosses can pay you um, by Friday 5.15 5, p.m. if they wanted to.
0: We talk a lot about the fraud and scams online. What happens with this situation when hackers really start doing their thing?
3: Yeah, that's a problem. And the problem is we've got a system. um, We have a system that really is based on the concept of, let's just take credit cards as an example. Is that the right number? Do you hold the card? It's not a system that says who are you using the card and what we need is to uh basically get rid of this 20 billion dollars a year in financial hacks and, um and ID ID theft that the US faces and we need some form of better Digital identification for people, and I know that's another hot button. Oh, my uh, God. I'm happy to take questions on that. Uh, um, We need to do it in some form. You know, how how you achieve this is up for debate, and that's fine. But that it's necessary shouldn't be debatable when you're looking at huge amounts of digital fraud and IT
0: theft. We're going to take your calls next hour with Rich Turin, and if you write checks and hate it, let me know. Let's get your input and feedback as well. Being religious and spiritual for a moment here, Rich, a lot of people believe that we're heading toward end times prophecy and that the the digital push is perhaps part of the sign of the beast. What do you think of that?
3: I don't. I'm sorry. And, you know, look, I I speak with all my heart to people out there that, you know, I understand that some elements of digital technology are challenging. I get that. And I understand that people may be frightened of them, but we live in a world of curing cancers and saving people's lives. And, yes, making immediate payments from one pay- person to another. We live in this world um, where digital is going to help extend our lives and make our lives better. And I believe that. I really, truly do. And I, my heart goes out to people who are um, afraid of our digital future. And I hope that, you know, we can meet in between and take the good and... Take their fear to remove the bad parts. Digital's got a lot of bad. There's no doubt about it. But let's meet in between and let's try to work it out.
0: What's the worst part of digital, in your opinion?
3: Privacy. And full stop, end of story. Most American citizens do not realize that the free services that they use on Google, the free services that they use on Facebook, um they are free because you are the product. They are selling you and your data and I apologize if that's harsh, but it's real. And um we have um surveillance capitalism where um we are being surveilled digitally and most of us do not understand the full extent. And there are digital systems that people are planning, things called Web3, for example, that are trying to restore privacy and the control of your data to the individual. So for all the bad in these digital services, we're also seeing development to to correct it and make it better.
0: And you talked about privacy. Do you think agencies, governmental agencies, will actually tap into your bank account and see how much money you got in there?
3: Did I understand the question correctly, George? And this is sarcasm. You ask if. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So look, um, let's let's t- let's take let's break it down. The federal government, the U.S. Fed. Look, U.S. federal law enforcement has the right, through warrant, to look at anybody's bank records or credit card details. No question. End of story. That's what. That's how the system is built. Now, the problem is... Has the system been abused? And that's where we get into this concept of group warrants, where um, FBI and other law enforcement have gone with batches and groups of individuals and said, we want a warrant for a group. And that's, you know, this is something that's in the news and been thought about. And, yes, we should be concerned about this stuff. And, you know, um, yeah that's that's a real problem, no doubt about it and i'll but I'll say this and now and i'm sure somebody i hope somebody asks calls me out on this. we can talk about it more but digital has solutions for that as well. We can make digital systems that are more tamper proof more mm-hmm. private and require a higher level of um security for governments to access and that's fundamentally good.
0: Your book Cashless is provocative indeed Where do people get it rich?
3: Sure George. Um, it is provocative and it takes a stance um, that China you can fundamentally learn something from China. China is a different country I know we have our differences but certain things that China does, are actually pretty good. And the book is available on Amazon. So um, it's available on Amazon and a whole pile of other stores like the Kobo e-reader store and lots of other places. So all on the digital networks. Um, you won't find it in hard copy at your local bookstore, but you can definitely order it at your local bookstore because I know I'm set up on all the different systems for
0: that. We talk a lot about our power grid and uh, the possibilities that the solar flare from the sun or an EMP attack, a nuke detonated in the atmosphere, could render our grid useless. If the power goes out digitally, we're up a creek, aren't we? No, we're not. And
3: that's probably one of the most profound and important breakthroughs when we talk about central bank digital currency. Now, I'm going to talk about China again. Um, If you look at China's digital currency, you can use it without power. You can actually have a cell phone and make a transfer to another cell phone. Well, the other cell phone does have to have a uh, a battery functioning, but you can make transfers without signal. And you can make transfers from cell phone to cell phone with one of the two cell phones having a dead battery. So um, if we get a big solar pulse, um, you're not going to be left out in the uh, in the cold without the ability to to make a payment.
0: And who who what country is fueling this rapid progression towards digital? Is it China?
3: It is China, George. You know, China is a big digital player. And they are probably not, excuse me, they're not probably, I wrote the book on this, they are definitely the most advanced nation in the world when it comes to digital currency.
0: Now, I'm not paranoid, but let me ask you this, Rich. Do you think they're listening in on you right now talking to me?
3: That's a great question. Absolutely. I think that with 1.4 billion people, they got better better things to be listened into, and the, but the other thing is absolutely not, um, you know, because Zoom is Zoom calls are sent on an encrypt, encrypted network. So basically, we've got digital technology called encryption, and my signal is being encrypt- encrypted digitally, sent to on your side, uncoded, and nobody c- you know, it's not like the old days, they called it wiretaps, right? Where
0: exactly
3: you the wires and you make the tape recording. You can't do that with digital, and this is a good example.
0: Rich, we're going to take a short break, but we're going to come right back and take an hour of phone calls with you next on Coast to Coast AM.